we just thank you, Father, this morning. We thank you, Holy Father. We speak Jesus over every situation in every home this morning, in every life this morning. We thank you for the name of Jesus. It was so beautiful yesterday. Uh, Moses was here, my little grandson. He's two. And he's just learning about the name of Jesus. And the other day he said to me, guess what, Nanny? You know where Jesus is? I said, where's Jesus, darling? He said, Jesus in my heart. It was so beautiful. And lately he's been waking up having like nightmares and, you know, that those two-year-old nightmares and starting to get scared. And I said to him yesterday, you know, the same Jesus is in your heart. He's in your room. And when Jesus is there, you don't ever have to be scared. You know, just speak the name of Jesus. And I started to speak my, teach my two-year-old grandson how to speak the name of Jesus. The power in the name of Jesus is so beautiful. Hey, good morning and welcome to church this morning. Wasn't it so fantastic last week? We've been talking about abide. How beautiful was it last week, uh, Julie's message? Like, it was so, it was, who was impacted by that? I've been thinking about it all week. You know, the, the, the analogies that she used, um, particularly, you know, you love that, Deborah. Yeah, I love the analogies she used, particularly the analogies of, you know, the, the face cream, which was obviously was very close and personal for us too. <laughs> I put my face cream on yesterday and she came, you just put your face cream on, mum. It was like, <laughs> she was snuggling up to me. But, <clears throat> but I love the analogy of, of, of this oneness where, you know, she said, you know, here's me, here's God. And this came from John Eldridge. And, and then we come together. But oneness isn't just being like this. Oneness is when we do this, when God comes close and then I come close and we come like this. But you know what? That's a, that's a fantastic analogy. But put up your hand if you struggle a lot of the time with that. You know, you come and you're praying to God and, you know, you just, you, you, you're looking for that oneness and you might hit on it every now and again, but other times it's just like, mm, I didn't really feel much or I didn't really feel that oneness. Put up your hand if you, if you feel that. I can see you. I'm looking at you all. So I've got you on gallery so I can see you all. You know, because we're human beings, aren't we? We're actually human. Put your hand on your heart and say, I'm human. <laughs> <laughs> and as much as I want to be in that oneness with God, my humanity can oftentimes stop me from being in that oneness with God. I love, I love there's, there's stories in the Bible that help us with this. And I was reading about Hagar. Who knows Hagar in the Bible? So she's the servant of Abram and Sari or Abraham and Sarah, they're later called. And God has said to Abraham and Sarah, I'll call them that for the sake of time, but Abraham and Sarah, he said to them, you're going to have a child. Now they're well, well forward in their age. Like, you know, they're, I think they're a hundred, near a hundred and, and it's impossible to have children. And God said, no, I'm going to give you the promised child. And they're waiting for this promised child years and nothing's happening. Nothing's going on. And so Sari or Sarah gets frustrated with this and they've got this servant Hagar and she says to her husband just take Hagar as your other wife 
and, and have a child with her because I'm never going to be able to give you a child. And she gets frustrated with that. So poor Hagar is kind of a victim in this story. I want you to see her as the victim. You know, she actually, she's actually being used by these people <clears throat> to bring forth a promise that they're supposed to bring forth themselves. And so they bring her in. Of course, she falls pregnant to Abraham. And now she's well pregnant. She's quite pregnant now. And Sarah, Sari or Sarah starts to really treat her badly because she's upset. Like, you got the baby and I didn't. And I was supposed to bring him a son and God was supposed to promise this to me. <clears throat> and so she gets real fleshy and she really is mean and cruel to Hagar to the point where Hagar, even though she's very pregnant, runs out into the desert, not even knowing where she's going to go. She just goes out into the desert without food or without water. She just runs into the desert. And in this desert place, she's just crying there on a rock. And, you know, she's probably just going, well, I just might as well die. Because what, you, what use is my life? No one knows me. No one sees me. I'm just a servant. I'm just being used by these people. I'm with a child that's not really even my child. It's going to be promised to someone else. And, and I'm, I'm nothing and I'm a no one. And in the midst of this space, in the middle of a desert, in the middle of a, the darkest, probably most, most place of anguish in her life, she hears the voice of God speak to her. She hears God speak to her. You've got to understand that in that day, God only spoke through the prophets and the priests and the kings. God didn't speak to man in those days. And yet in the middle of her anguish, the, the compassion of God, the heart of God was so strong for this woman who was, there was so much injustice happening in her life that he actually, in the middle of her desert, he speaks to her. And I love this statement that she makes, and this is what I want you to catch this morning in Genesis 16, 13. She says this, you are the God who sees me. You are the God who sees me. And then she said, I have now seen the God who sees me. See, Something changed in Hagar in that very moment when she realized that there was a God who sees her and that she had seen the God who sees her. Her whole perception changed. She got herself together. She went back. As God had told, just go back. I am with you. I'll not leave you, I'll not forsake you, just go back. You don't need to die right now. I have seen the God who sees me. And I think that's what we have difficulty with when we're coming to God and we're trying, you know, we're coming to this place and we're trying to get this little oneness happening. It's almost like our perceptions inside our minds stop us from knowing that he is the God who sees me. He's the God who can look straight into me and see everything about me. 
And yet we are like Adam and Eve that we're still hiding. We're still afraid to be vulnerable. We still want to cover ourselves with fig leaves, even though God sees everything. It's incredible, isn't it? We often see ourselves through the lens of our past experiences, right? You know, perhaps our past mistakes, maybe the things that have been said over us, <clears throat> maybe the way we've been raised, maybe the experience we had at school. What about the things that were never said or the things that were not said enough, like I love you, like you're precious, like you're special, like you mean something to me. Perhaps there have been traumatic experiences in our lives that have affected the way we see ourselves because the way we see ourselves is often the way that we block God out because we don't really want God to see us even though we know that he does see us, amen, so we still hide. We see ourselves through a distorted lens. We find it difficult to think that God would even want to see us. You know, why would God even want to look at me? Why would God even, you know, the, the Psalms say, who was man that you are mindful of him? Who, who am I, God, that you are mindful of me? Like you might just think that right now with all this pandemic going on in the world and all this stuff going on, why would God, when I stop to be with him, want to stop and be with me? Why would he block everything else out in the whole world and bring himself down to be small enough to fit inside of me? This enormous God that fills the whole universe and yet he makes this space to come and be inside of me. I find that astounding. We ask these questions. I love this story of Nathaniel in the Bible. Has anybody been watching The Chosen? Just wave to me if you've been watching The Chosen. If you haven't been watching The Chosen, start watching it. It's pretty amazing, really. And I know there's liberty taken there, you know, as far as, you know, creative liberty. But, hey, get over yourself. When you watch this, when you watch The Chosen, and you can download the app on your phone, The Chosen app, and then you, get, you can watch these things free or you can donate to make sure that they can continue making this series. But what I love about this, The Chosen, is that, you know, in, in other, other depictions of the life of Christ, the main focus has been on Jesus and what he does, his miracles, his signs, his wonders, what he does. But this particular series focuses on Jesus and who he is and how he relates to other people and what happens to people when he's around them. And how we can see them and understand them, every one of them, in their own personalities, in their own way they express themselves, in their own process of healing, in their own process, in the journey that they're on with God. It shows you in this series how Jesus just gets everybody. And he actually is pleased with people at every stage of their journey. He actually smiles and, and chuckles and finds it 
you know, amusing that, 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 you know, certain people like Matthew would see, you know, their mind as a problem, but he sees it as a solution. I just love it. So in this, in this, in, in this story of the chosen, they, they, they highlight a man named Nathaniel and they give him a bit of a background. We know biblically that, that Nathaniel was an architect, but they sort of give it a bit more background. And they say he's a Jewish architect, but in that time, only Romans were allowed to be recognised as architect. Jews were not recognised as architect, even though he had studied and he'd done all that needed to be done to be a, an architect. He was not recognised. So he offered to work for no wages for this Roman uh, building company, so to speak, um, because he just wanted to be recognised. Now, since he was a little boy in the story, he has dreamt that he would build a temple for God. And he had it, the blueprint drawn up and he would prayed over it his whole life and said, God, I feel like my calling is to build you a temple, to honour your name, you know, to, 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 so that people would honour you the way that I love you and the way that I honour you. And so he's going up through the ranks trying to, you know, trying to get to this stage where he'll be accepted as a builder, where he can build a temple for God. But in the meantime, he's building Roman structures and working for no wages. But when he realises that the, the, the foreman, the Roman foreman, has cut some corners in the building materials that he has asked for, and he's arguing with the Roman foreman and saying, you know, you've cut corners, there, there's, there's materials that I needed that you're using, you know, cheaper materials. And as he's arguing with this Roman foreman, outside they hear this mighty crash and the whole stone structure crashes down and it crushes a few people. And he runs outside and he's devastated. And the Roman foreman turns around and says, this is all your fault. This is your fault and you will never, ever work as an architect. And so biblically, we pick it up now in the story where he runs out into this deserted place, Nathaniel, and it's, he's devastated. It's like his life is over, his dream is finished, and he's spent his whole life in pursuit of doing something good for God. And now he feels like even God has turned his back on him. And he's sitting under this fig tree and they pick it up where he's sitting under the fig tree. And he, and he gets the blueprint that he's had that he's been working on and he burns it. He just burns it and he's just crying out the Psalms to God. You know, where are you, God, when I needed you? Don't. And then finally he... This amazing scene, which I was just crying when, when this happened because God had been speaking to me about this. And in this amazing scene, he just yelled out to, to, the, to the vastness of the place where he's sitting under this fig tree and he yells out, God, do you see me? Like that. And I just like, whoa, it just really, really hit me. And then we pick it up in the story in John 1, 43 to 51. And it says this, the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. 
Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Now, Philip is a friend of Nathaniel, right? Follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip then found Nathaniel. This is the next day. And told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel is bitter. He doesn't, he, like his perception now of God and of himself is stopping him from even seeing the Messiah that's finally arrived that he's been waiting for. And he says this statement, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? He's angry. And Philip says, come and see. Now watch this. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Immediately Jesus is saying to Nathanael, I know what's been happening to you. And even though you've been falsely accused, I know your heart and I know there is no deceit inside of you. And so Nathaniel says to him, how do you know me? Jesus has never met Nathaniel. He'd never met him. And Nathaniel, he wasn't just saying like, how do you know my name? He was saying, how do you know me? How do you know inside my heart? How do you know what's just happened to me? How do you know my life and my world and how I've reacted to that? Do you know what that means to me? Nathaniel would be saying, when you're looking at me, a man who's just suffered such injustice, and you're saying to me, there is no deceit inside of me. You're clearing my name publicly. And you know, you know, how do you know me? How do you know these things? And Jesus answered him, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Oh, my gosh. I saw you. You remember what I said before? He's sitting under that fig tree. He says, God, do you see me? And Jesus says to him, I saw you. I saw you while you were still under that fig tree before Philip called you. Wow. I am the God who sees you. I am the God who sees you. And then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. He realized, he realized this. He was here. But through one encounter with Jesus, where Jesus says to him, I know you. I declare truth over the lies that have been spoken to you. And now we can come into this because our relationship is based in the knowledge that I am the God who sees you and now you have seen the God who sees you. You see that? Wow. And Jesus said to him, you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree. But you will see greater things than that, he then added. 
Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. See, the thing is, when Jesus deals with the lies that stop us relating to him, not only will be, we'll be astounded that he sees us and that he knows us and that he heals us and he brings truth to our lives, but then he expands us to see so much more of who he is because those things that were blocking us are no longer there. You see, when the spirit of truth comes, the truth will set you free. See, the truth set Nathaniel free. The truth set Hagar free. Because I know that you see me. Isn't that amazing? I just feel emotional about that myself. I feel like going into a room and having a big cry right now, a big cry fest. I've been doing that a lot lately because the reality of the love of Jesus has been flooding my being so often. It's so beautiful. Thank you, Jesus. I don't know about you, but, you know, whenever I find there's a blockage of me coming into this space with God, I like to ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you know, I'm doing everything that I know how to do, but I can't seem to get in. I can't. I can't seem to get that closeness that I know I can have with you. You know, is there something else blocking me? Is there something else that, 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 that is somewhere in my past, somewhere in my being raised, something that's been said, something happened at school, something because there's these, he's progressively changing us to, to take in more of him. And so this just a couple of weeks ago, I like to write things in my journal because that helps me to process things. And a couple of weeks ago, I was, I was going, I was practicing stillness and just wanting to be with God. And, I'm, and, and I just, it was just blank. It was just blank. And I just couldn't get in, you know, and, and I'm just going, God, what, what is wrong with me? You know, instead of giving up, I want to ask the questions instead of just walking away and going, oh, well, you know, he doesn't want to be with me or whatever it is. I want to ask the questions. What, and I know you want to be with me, God. I know that you say that you never leave me, you never forsake me. I know you're here right now, you're here. Why can't I feel you? It must be my problem. There must be something in me. And so I asked the Holy Spirit, and this, I'm just reading, this is my journal, you see, and I like to write in it. So I'm going to read you directly out of my journal. I'm going to be vulnerable with you this morning because I think that helps us all when we all just get vulnerable with God. So I ask the Holy Spirit, why is it spasmodic and sometimes almost a fluke if I get to connect with my Heavenly Father? And then he takes me in this picture and it and, and, um, and, and refers back to my father, my own father. And he says these things. He says these things to me, your dad was unapproachable. He says, you were always begging for his attention because I was one of six children, middle child in six children. My dad was distant. He wasn't present. I felt unseen. 
I was afraid that if I did connect with my dad, that he would yell at me or be disappointed because he drank a lot. And I loved my dad. Don't get me wrong. He's a beautiful, beautiful man. But he was a, he was a tortured soul and he did drink. And when he drank, he got cranky. So I was afraid that if I did approach him, he would, I would just get yelled at. I would be a disappointment to him. Um, or he would use the opportunity to run off a list that he was upset about. He used to always use this terminology, and while I'm at it, and then he would go on about something else that he wasn't, you know, that I hadn't done very well. It was easier to stay hidden and distant and just wait for the times when he invited me in. Listen to that. It was easier for me as a child to stay, to stay hidden and distant and just wait for the times that he would invite me in. Rare times they were that my dad would invite me in. Very rare times. But there were these times, and they were rare, when he would, he loved to listen to classical music, classical piano music, and he knew that I had a passion for the piano, even though I couldn't afford to learn piano, or I could, we could never afford to have one. But piano music was like my soul speaking. And all the other kids would be in bed, asleep. Mum would be at work. She used to work shift work. He'd come down, Jules, come upstairs with me in, into our lounge room. And I'd go upstairs with him and he'd have this Franz Liszt number three Rhapsody or something like that playing on an old 78 record and these big speakers. And he'd just say, just lay on the floor with me. And we'd just lay down on the floor on our backs, holding hands. He'd turn the light out. And he, we would not say a word. We would just let the emotions of the music speak for us because that's how dad spoke. He spoke with no words, just emotions. And there was these rare, rare, rare times. In the dark, he'd just hold my hand and he would say, listen, Julie, can you hear it? Can you feel the emotion of the music? Can you feel it through the floor? There were no words. We would just lay there and I would want it to never end. Even though he was probably had a few drinks at the time and he probably wouldn't remember it the next day. But for a few precious moments, I felt safe. I felt special. I felt loved and I felt seen. And then the Holy Spirit said to me, perhaps you have translated that onto your heavenly father. That there are only those rare and special moments and when everything between you, sorry, that there are only those rare and special moments and everything in between is just hard work, trying to be seen, trying to be heard, waiting to be loved. Holy Spirit said, Julie, just talk to him. Just talk to your heavenly father. Boldly come before the throne of grace and you will only enter into his rest, not occasionally, but you'll enter his rest constantly and then he said these words to me you experienced a moment in the music but I am the music you felt a moment of safety but I am your safe place you felt a moment of rest but I am your rest you felt a moment of love but I am love you felt a moment of a father's imperfect love, but I am your perfect father. Hebrews 4.11 says this. 
In 4.9, it says, there now remains a rest. Therefore, in 11, make every effort to enter into that rest. See, when I read that through my lens, where it says there remains a rest in God, and it says make every effort, then I went, okay, yeah, that's like it is. You just got to work hard. You got to try and be seen. You got to, you know, do what you can to get into that rest. But God wasn't saying that at all. Through my new lens, as the Holy Spirit revealed to me the lens that I was looking through, effort wasn't about me working to get into God's presence and maybe striking it, you know, when God was in a good mood or he felt like inviting me in. But the effort was that that I would make an effort to allow God to heal whatever stops me boldly coming before the throne of grace, that I would just position myself to know that God is there always for me, that he never leaves me and he never forsakes me, that he is inviting me in every moment, every second of every day. And I don't have to wait for that favour. I have that favour through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, what I want you to do quickly is just grab a pen and a piece of paper or a phone or an iPad or something that you can take notes because I'm just going to give you a bit of homework and then I'll be, then I'll be finishing up. <clears throat> Thank you, Jesus. Okay. So just write these things down because you say you might say later, oh, what did she say to do? You know, because these are the things that are going to give you these breakthroughs. We we want you to abide in Christ. We we want you to have this. We want so much for you to have. I want that for myself. And, and it's easy to say, you know, like you need to do this, you need to do this, but how? How do I do it? How do I get the breakthrough? Okay, number one, write this down. Number one. And then write, present myself to God in a vulnerable way. Now, look, sometimes that can be scary when there's a lot of things in your past or in your life that you go, what if they all come up at once and I'm just a mess and I'm a wreck and, you know, and I, and, and I, and I spin out and I have an anxiety attack or whatever. You know, God never lets us go through anything that he first doesn't give us the grace. So when we present ourselves in a vulnerable way before God, we're trusting our father that he knows exactly what to put his finger on at that moment in that time that because he longs for a relationship with us more than we long for a relationship with him, actually. So I number one, I present myself to God in a vulnerable way. Number two, I ask the Holy Spirit to bring revelations to the why. I ask the Holy Spirit to bring revelation to the why. Like, why can't I get in? Why can't I feel God? Number three, wait and listen. So if you ask God a question, wait and listen for the answer. You know, and allow your godly imagination to kick in. Because if I didn't allow my godly imagination to kick in, I wouldn't have gone to that picture of my dad and that room and that music when I was eight years old 
you know I me, mean? but the Holy Spirit took me there through my godly imagination. Now, you know, when you're asking the Holy Spirit, you may get a picture, you may get a feeling, you may get a sense, you may see a room, you may, you may see a person, but the Holy Spirit, and then as you see things, as you sense things, ask, keep asking the Holy Spirit, okay, what next? You know, what do you want me to know? What was the very first time that I felt this blockage with you? Take me to that place, Holy Spirit, and heal me. Number four, so you got number three, wait and listen and allow godly imagination, okay? Number four, read scripture that brings truth that opposes your wrong thinking. So you'll see a picture like I saw that picture with my dad and I know the scriptures there that say that, my, that, that he never leaves me or forsakes me. That, that I, if I seek and knock, he will open the door. So they oppose the lie that was in my head that I have to work hard to get in and he may not invite me in, you see. So ask the whole, uh, allow, oh, sorry, read the scripture that truth opposes. Read the scripture that brings truth that opposes my wrong thinking, number four. Number five, ask the Holy Spirit to expose the lie because there's always a lie that stops the truth forming you and bringing you close to Jesus. This is the enemy's plan. He wants to plant little tiny lies in you that you never find and so they always come up against the same roadblocks. So ask the Holy Spirit to expose the lie and it might be just like, oh, my father never loved me, so God never does. It might be a teacher said this at me, I'm dumb and how can I come before God? You know, it expose the lie. The Holy Spirit will find it. And once you've found the lie, once the Holy Spirit has exposed the lie, ask Jesus to show you the truth. So number five, number six, ask Jesus to show you the truth. So the lie may be something like, um, you know, no one likes me. No one ever did because you got picked on at school and you got bullied at school. No one likes me. No one ever did. And so you say, Holy Spirit, the lie is no one likes me. No one ever did. Jesus, what's the truth? And then Jesus may just say something that's very personal to you. Like, you know, I've always loved you or, Oh, I love this about you, and people love this about you. You know, he'll bring a truth to that. Number six, ask Jesus to show you the truth. Number seven, allow the washing of that truth to set you free. So allow that truth to come over you. Sit in his presence for a while. Cry if you need to cry. Let the revelation of that truth soak into your very being until it brings change. The truth will set you free. Seven, allow the washing of the truth to set you free. And number eight, last one, practice the new mindset. Don't fall into old habits. So now when I go to be in the Lord's presence and I don't feel him, I'm not going to give in to that old lie 
I'm going to say, no, I know that you're here. And I'm just going to start talking to him like he's there because he is there. You see? And I don't have to work that. I don't have to put in effort for that. I can boldly come and just be his daughter and just let him love me because the truth has set me free. And now I'm going to renew my mind by forming a new habit. Amen. Now, honestly, whenever you feel a roadblock, if you practice those eight things, just give yourself some slack. Allow yourself to just, you know, we're not here, for, we're, not, we're not on a witch hunt. We don't want to go every day and go, okay, what else is wrong with me, God? You know, it's not what's wrong with you. It's God trying to take you back to the original state that he made you in before all the stuff polluted you from seeing him the way that he sees you and from seeing yourself the way he sees you. Until we get to this place where we go, God, you are the God who sees me. And now I have seen the God who sees me. Amen. So, Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you'll just let that word wash into our hearts, Father. That you'll come and take these humanity, this humanity, that you would take these human beings and you would wash us with your word and that you would fill us with your love and that you would open our eyes and our hearts and our ears and our spirits and our whole being to know that you are the God who sees me. So let me see the God who sees me. In Jesus' name. Amen.